Hey everyone, welcome back to the Trail Life Podcast. I'm your host, Jeff Stoner. I, uh, as always, I appreciate you guys listening in on another journey across the podcast airwaves. Uh, you know, I've got a good one today. One that, you know, I didn't even have to prep for, which doesn't come along very often. It's kind of nice when it does. It's almost like just, like I said, chatting with friends sometimes on these podcasts. And, and that's exactly what this was. You know, I'm, I'm bringing back uh, one of my favorite guests, uh, the king of the FKT, Jason Hardrath. And as Jason and I have conversations through Messenger and text message, he sends out this message that he's got a couple great stories to tell about some his epic summer. And when somebody like that just wants to come on and just give their story and have fun with it. I'm all ears and I'm just like you. I get a chance to just listen in on the story uh, this time and, and hear what uh, what's going on with people. And I, I love this opportunity. Um, and I love being able to talk to Jason about, about this type of stuff. Um, if you really want to know you know, the FKT world, he is the person to listen in on. Uh, so I appreciate him jumping back on, sharing his stories on his epic summer. Uh, we didn't get a chance to get into all of his stories, which we'll dovetail to the to the fall when we do uh, another conversation with him later on uh, on one of his other opportunities coming up. But it was just interesting to listen in on what he had going on this summer, and and uh, man, it never never seems to disappoint. So I hope you guys enjoyed just as much as I uh, had fun listening in on him. Welcome back to the Trail Life, Jason Hardrath. The Trail Life Podcast is presented by Solomon. For 75 years, the passion for outdoor sports, new technologies, and craftsmanship have driven them and still do to create progressive gear to enable you to freely enjoy and to challenge yourself in the great outdoors. Today, Solomon has an incredible lineup of road and trail running footwear and hydration gear, perfect for any runner on any train, no matter the challenge. Check them out today at your local running store like Runner's Roost, Jack's Outdoor, or in Solomon.com. This episode of the Trail Life Podcast is brought to you by MROC Training. MROC Training is an obstacle course gym for active adults who want to stay fit, crush goals, and have fun. Veteran-owned and family-operated since 2014, their small group classes provide team accountability run by experienced coaches motivating your workouts from start to finish. Their three-pillar functional training system combines obstacles, strength, and conditioning, so you never get bored with the same routine. It's fitness for life's adventures. If you're in the North County, San Diego area and want to check them out, go to mrocktraining.com to see how you can get started. Well, help me turn the turning. Well, help me get it right. I don't want to hurt nobody. Well, I don't want to fight. Well, offer me the peace of mind. I'm kind of just here to have some fun today on this conversation, which is awesome. So <laughs> that gets me excited. Uh, as you can remember from last time, I do pretty well with free form conversation and storytelling. Yeah. So yep. this, exactly. this will be fun. Yeah. Thanks for joining in again. I appreciate that. How is you're back to school now, right? Back to school. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, second day with the students today. Oh shit. Only second day, man. You guys that's not bad. So what's, what's your schedule like now getting back into it? Are you, is your school like that in that full week or full days yet? Or are you doing like those half day type of things that, uh, luckily we are full on totally back, uh, pretty much as, as back to normal as is possible. Well, I mean, what's the weather like for you guys over there? 
Um, it's been a little weird. It's been, I mean, since getting back, it's been hot, a little bit of smoke in the air from, from a couple of fires nearby, yeah, uh, random, say. random epic thunderstorm happens just like at lunchtime today. Just like the kids were like, Whoa, I'm like, it's just thunder. It's okay. We're inside. <laughs> yeah. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. It's, it's been brutally hot down here as of late and it's only supposed to get hotter for the next couple of days. So I'm like, and we don't have any, like we've supposed to get some rain, but shit, when you say rain in San Diego, it's like maybe two minutes of, of thunderstorms and you're you're good. It's like fuck. <laughs> so I'm ready for some cooler weather, that's for sure. And I can't even so I'm going to Colorado next week for my last race of the season there. So I'm and I'm gonna be up in the mountains. So thank God, because it's just as hot in Colorado now as it is here in San Diego. But so excited to get up in the mountains to be like cooler weather, 50 degrees in the morning, you know, high as 65 in the afternoon. I'll be I'll be down for that for sure. Yeah, likewise, likewise. I did did a lot of hot things this summer. Yeah, man. So going theme. Yeah. So getting into what you did, like, how was your summer? Like, ah, well, I mean, you know, we, we chatted in the last episode, um, a lot about the Bulgers effort and, you know, that was a big, like all consuming, like the whole summer goes to one project. And, you know, I, I had another big project like that, that, was kind of is already on my mind and was already on my mind. And I was like, you know what? I want a year off to just like be able to like do a hard thing that lasts like 24 hours and then have time to like live a normal life and just go see things and do (laughs) things and hang out with people. And then maybe do another like 24 or 48 hour push. And I, I always keep like a notebook of a bunch of different options that I've done like the logistics on and, and, yeah. and kind of planned out and went, all right, this is possible for me. And one of those things that had just been a burning intuition that it was possible for me. And then of course I ran the numbers and the numbers were like, well, yeah, it's possible for you. Um, is sort of California's equivalent of uh, Nolan's 14, which is called Norman's 13. And it's definitely, it's like the much harder, meaner, more brutal, older step sibling of Nolan's. Um, <laughs> it'll chew you up and spit you out. It's, I mean, anybody that spent time in the Sierras knows it's a little different than just running around in the, on the 14 ers in Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> it's not the same kind of terrain. Um, so yeah, those 13 14 ers Norman's 13, you've got six of the peaks that you're doing full on fourth and fifth class rock climbing moves, uh, to move on them and between them. Okay. Um, and so it's like a, it's a pretty full on committing backcountry experience. It's like your easiest bailouts are oftentimes like, oh, you want to quit? Well, guess what? You get to walk 25 miles to quit. It's big, it's hard, it's committing. So it had been, it had been on my radar since a guy first became the first person to complete it in uh, 2019. And what I realized is another record I'd had my eyes on was the California 14ers by bike. Cause other than the 13 14ers that are in the Sierra, there's two more white mountain and Mount Shasta, um, up in Northern California that constitute the 15 14ers in California. And okay. somebody had like biked between them all to all the normal trailheads and, you know, set a human powered record for climbing them all. And I was like, Oh, that's oh. pretty cool. I like biking. But is, that, I, is that why you got the, is that why you got your Canyon on display there? Just to, <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I biked, biked to school this morning and then hopefully the storms, <laughs> the storms will have cleared enough. I'll get a nice, hot, humid bike ride home. Um, yeah, trying to get the bike miles up. I've got another bike mission later, but we can get to the what's next at the end of the chat. Yeah. So I, um, wanted to, what I, well, what I discovered was when I ran the, ran the numbers is if you beat the record by enough of a margin, 
on the Norman's 13 traverse of the Sierra 14ers. Right. And you've tagged those 13 summits. Well, when you exit, as long as you beat it by enough, you actually are ahead of the record of the person who had biked between them all and just went up the like normal, easy, easier ways on, right. on the peaks from the normal trailheads. And I was like, oh, well, now that's, that's enticing. You're telling that's- me in one push, I could break two records if I'm willing to suffer out of my mind for it. Challenge accepted. Challenge <laughs> accepted. So this has been on my mind since basically 2019 when, when the dude first sent uh, the uh, Norman's 13. And I just like couldn't quite put it together in 2020 just with COVID and all yeah. the weird stuff. And then obviously in 2021, I launched into the Bulgers. And so it was like, okay, it's time. Like it's, it's now time to like make this one happen. Yeah. And it was full value. Like it was full on. I mean, rewind a little bit. So in my preparation, I was trying to have like really strong preparation leading up. I I'm out on a hundred mile ride. I'm, I'm at mile 98.5. All I have to do is coast back down the side of Mount Shasta. Cause I did a bike ride from Southern Oregon where I live near Klamath Falls, um, down to Mount Shasta and up the side of Mount Shasta ways to get kind of a big climb in. And then I was just coasting back down. I literally would have gotten my hundred miles without a single pedal stroke. Like it was done. It was sealed. Oh, wow. Like okay. I just had to coast into town a herd of deer come out and cross the road. And one of them drills me right in the side as I'm doing 40 miles an hour down the side of this. This is in May. This is in May. Um, and I go over the bars at 41 miles an hour and just scrape the skin off my body and like put a big contusion in my hip. And it's like, well, shoot this, you know, it's like, there goes the whole summer. Like I'm, I'm probably destroyed. Turns out those are basically my only, only injuries get super lucky, like super unlucky. Like some people are like, Oh my God, you're so unlucky. I can't believe you got hit by a deer. And then everybody else is like, Oh man, everybody who I've ever heard of having this kind of accident is like screwed up for like five years. You're so lucky. Broken, broken legs, arms back, whatever it is. I mean, that, that is super lucky that you didn't get anything worse than that. That's crazy. Yeah, but the, the the jury's still out on whether I'm the luckiest person or the unluckiest person. <laughs> well, either either way, it's painful. That's I'll true. just say it's painful. <laughs> um, so anyways, it's like a huge blow to my confidence. Like I'm not able to train. I'm like in the hospital for a while. Like, yeah, it, it, it I still have like scar tissue instead of skin on my shoulder, hip, elbow, knee. This must have been right after you got done with school that, that for that season. School right? wasn't even quite done yet. School oh, wasn't. wasn't done. Oh, we don't let out till mid June. So I went ahead and went back and taught like like basically the night. Well, they wouldn't let me come. My principal was like, "No, you're not. You you were in the ER. You're not coming to school tomorrow. Like take the day off." Uh, but the very next day, I came in with the shattered helmet and like the you know the bandages and all that. And I'm like, "If anybody ever tells you a helmet's not cool, like, <laughs> it just go. saved my life. So wear it." <laughs> And they're like, whoa. And I showed them like <laughs> pictures of the wounds and stuff. And like, oh man. So it was like the best show and tell day ever. Um, but really, really painful. But of course, that's what I'm going to do. It's like, if I'm a teacher who does extreme stuff, I've got to show up on the days where the well, bad things happen and tell yeah. them like, hey, this is the real world and these are real world consequences. And <laughs> and this is this is what it is. Like, those are the most powerful lessons. Like those kids are never going to forget that. Anyways, huge blow to my, my psyche, my confidence, right? Like, training disrupted bodies like swollen the hip still to this day like has a little bit of fluid in it and so the question became like can i trust my body in the state it's in to be deep in the back country where i have to go 25 miles under my own power potentially to exit and 
So, you know, I've got, I've got about a month of school left from when the month and a half month, five weeks of school left from when the accident happens to when school gets out. And so one of the other records I wanted to beat, I wanted to make an attempt on was a, a route in Tuolumne Meadows, uh, up above Yosemite, um, that had only ever been completed by one team of guys. And they tried it multiple times with multiple failures to finally do the whole convoluted bliss, bliss convoluted bliss traverse. And what it is, is it's the whole Merced River drainage. You basically stay on the high divide uh, that divides that drainage from the rest. Okay. Um, and it's basically 40, 40 plus miles of third, fourth class ridge traversing. Some second class and some trails and small sections too, but it's like this you know, epic views the whole time. It's- so break it down real fast. When you say third and fourth class, just for anybody mm. who doesn't, if anybody who doesn't know, cause you've also mentioned fifth and sixth class as well too. So what are people imagining as they, as they hear those type of class of, of climbing? Absolutely. Um, so for clarity there, first class, you're walking on a, on a trail, second class, or you could be off trail, but it's like very, very smooth where it's almost the same as being on a trail. Um, Second class, it's like techie, some rocks, still kind of flat and stable though. Mm -hmm. Third class, you're getting into where like you might be hopping up and down boulders. You might be like, you know, having to, pull up, pull up, like, you know, grab a small ledge on a boulder and like pull yourself up it a little bit. Um, but it's like pretty tame. It's like, if you fell off while you were doing that, like maybe you'd like put yourself in the hospital if you fell exactly wrong. But for the most part, it's like, if you mess up, the consequences are pretty low. Um, it's like, ouch, that hurts. Fourth class crosses that barrier to where, okay, you're, you're climbing on steep enough terrain that if you fell, you're definitely going to the hospital or you're potentially dying. Um, like it could be, it could be borderline fail or or fatality. And then fifth class, it's like, you're, you're falling for a long time. Like it's, it's fatal. If you, if you make a mistake is kind of a way to frame it, like pretty vertical terrain, uh, pretty hard, hard moves. Well, they could still be relatively easy movements, but it's like, if you make a mistake, it's, it's uh, very high consequence. So you could almost think of the classifications both in regard to the difficulty of the terrain, but also in regard to the consequences of a mistake okay. on that terrain. So that clears that up. So moving on to the conversation here. So, so I yeah, just want to moderate... make sure that we had a little bit of a, a little bit of clarity as far as that goes. So anyway, you're on the, you're on the ridge line. That's a third and fourth class traverse a little bit. Yeah. With just a few fifth class sections here okay. and there. Um, probably it's probably someone willing to go a little bit slower and like poke their way around could have found some easier, uh, fourth class, third class routes, but we were kind of trying to be efficient. So anyways, this team had done it in eight days, basically just under eight days. And it was like, okay, I found a, a guy who was interested in doing it. Uh, who's kind of a epic, uh, an epic Sierra guy. He has more first ascents in the Sierras than any other human being that's ever lived. Uh, his name is Vitali. He's a super cool guy, super nice guy, humble, kind. He's kind of trying to get more into the endurance world now. He just ran his first 100K. He's kind of like, he's kind of felt like he's, you know, he's literally written a guidebook on Sierra Ascents, right? So he's literally written the book on it. He's like, time to try some new stuff. Um, so he's like, this is like kind of perfect. I would love to do this with you because you're kind of like the guy for FKTs. And like, I know the Sierra, like, let's go out and do this together. I'm like, that's awesome. Let's do it. And yeah. it gives me someone I can trust both for the reliability sake. And then he had such a chill, like, vibe about it. He's, he's like, I don't care if we crush it. I don't care if we keep it relaxed. I mean, let's beat the, let's beat the eight daytime for sure. Uh, right. 
but let's just be chill with each other and go have fun. And then one other guy jumped in who's kind of known for doing some of this speed stuff in the Sierra named Ryan Tates. And the three of us went out there and just, we, our goal was just cover as much ground as we can each day, kind of like secondarily. We're like, let's see if we can make it, we can cover enough ground to make it two of their camps for every one day that we spend moving. So in other words, cut their time in half. And so we just went out there and kind of kept chill vibes. We slept at night. We weren't like cutting sleep and climbing dangerous terrain at night. And we did it in three days, three days, 12 hours. Um, and it was kind of this big confidence boost where it's like, okay, clearly I'm not as fit as I want to be. My body is way more painful than I'd care to be, right. but I'm still able to trust myself out here. Um, like I can do it. And that was a, that was kind of a big breakthrough because all in all, when you count the trail miles to approach the Ridge and exit the Ridge, it's a 71 mile push. Okay. Um, so a decent, decent push out there. And what's and the, I'll, what's the gain of that trail? Do you remember? Oh boy. Um, for the whole thing, I want to say there was somewhere around 30,000, 20, 20 something. Okay. Um, so a, a lot of up and down, yeah. a lot of up and down for 70 miles. Yeah. I think I'm remembering that right. And yeah, so it was just, it was, it was a, you know, it was a very like healing thing in a way, like consoling thing, like, okay, I can still do this for this year. It's not yeah. the whole year's not out the window. Right. Um, and it was a really rad experience to share with those guys as well. Cause, uh, you know, I think you remember from our last conversation and talking about the journey to 100 FKTs, a lot of that was like my personal rite of passage, my personal gauntlet, yeah. like a lot of solo self-supported, yeah. uh, a lot of unsupported, a lot of stuff where I was just out there on my own, not really sharing it with anybody, just like seeking my own sort of pinnacle experience. Um, and then, you know, since the Bulgers, it's been really cool because of the relationships I've built, you know, through conversations like this and and other places and with other athletes, like coming along and beating some of my FKTs um, where like, oh, clearly that means you have a skill set that we both share. <laughs> like, let's yeah. go do something rad together. Um, it's like kind of like this big fishnet I have out in the world where it's like I get to meet a bunch of super cool people with awesome skill sets. Yeah. Um, and so I've started doing more stuff with other people and getting to share some of these experiences with people. And that's been, it's been really cool, a really awesome thing. Side uh, note to that, um, you know, that I've talked to a number of people in the, you know, the same realm, the FKT realm that have always come back to you. And then in my conversation <laughs> with them and been like, Oh yeah, Jason, this, and he, he helped me out. Like I was talking to Travis just last week and Travis was like, yeah, he'd heard that I had, you know, beat his FKT on, on whatever it was. And then he's like, Oh yeah, he reached out. He's like, you should try these and try this. And it's, I told him, I'm like, you know what, that's again, it kind of fits in that same community of trail running, right? Where everybody's looking out for one another. Everybody's like, it's a community and not just a, oh my God, I can't believe the guy beat my FKT. Now I got to go out and do it again or whatever. It's it, everybody wants to help each other out. And I think that just from your conversation just now and in, in your story about how two guys came on to, you know, want to do this with you kind of just shows like what kind of community this is as well. And what kind of influence you've had on, on this this realm of, of endurance, you know, category. So it's, it's awesome to hear that. I, I, I love, I love, uh, love that conversation. I appreciate that. Yeah, no, I've, to me, you know, it's how to say this, I think in American culture, um, as well as I can place it, I'm, I'm not the most literate person in the world, but as well as I can place it, it seems like in American culture, we think of the hero's story as, Oh, the badass slays the dragon. Yeah. It's like, no, no, that's not, that's not the full, that's not the, that's not the story. In fact, usually the hero is reluctant, but because the village is suffering, because the village, you know, 
has things going wrong. You know, the dragon is, you know, killing villagers and hoarding the gold and everyone is poor. The hero goes out and slays the dragon and then brings the gold back to share with the village, right? It's about lifting everyone up from the suffering we all share together. It's like, what can we do to mitigate some of the tragedy and some of the, you know, COVID like had us all down and all this, all this stuff, you know, the war with Russia and Ukraine, like all this stuff that like can pull us down and drag us down. It's like, well, what collective lift can we have where we can point people towards something that motivates them in a positive way to make positive changes, to believe something is possible. That's the whole point of the thing. It's like, yeah, you still have to go out and slay the dragons to have the wisdom, the the gold to bring back. Like that's part of the experience, but it's, it's, it's about what you bring back more so than just what you, the, the dragon you kill. And I don't know, I, I totally, and I think a lot of people in this community like approach it the same way where it's not, it's not so much the ego trip that it's like, I'm the best runner that ever was and yeah. nobody's ever going to beat me. And if you do beat me on something, I'll make an excuse about it and belittle your effort and, and say you're a loser. Um, it's like, no, like, cool. I did this thing, but you want to try it too. Here's everything I know about it. I yeah. hope you can go better the mark because that's good for all of us to see what's possible. Oh, exactly. Um, it's yeah. in a way it's like vision over ego, right? Yep. Um, it's, it's about the bigger picture, Yep. which I think is really cool. And I totally agree with. So you get done with the Yosemite Traverse there. And you're now, as you said, you've kind of gained a little bit of confidence and everything else. Now what's your transition into the Norman's 13 side of things and and that experience? Like what's the, what's the separation there? With, with these bigger efforts when they're, uh, you know, especially since we went conservative with the pacing for that Mm -hmm. 71 mile push, um, the thought was kind of use it as a training springboard, you know, like in our training, oftentimes we'll put our key workout roughly three weeks, roughly 21 yeah. days okay. before our actual race. And then from after, after that, we sort of taper and then just do little things to maintain. So basically like a, a three week window, four week window out, I was like, all right, I need to figure out where and how to make this thing happen. And, you know, got my weather window decided like, okay, going to go, going to go all in with this kind of the primary goal is to at least break the record. I wanted to go really bad. I wanted to go sub, uh, sub three days okay. with the Normans 13. Cause nobody'd gone under three days. The record was three days, 11 hours, uh, before I did it. Didn't end up pulling that off. Didn't end up pulling that off, but I had this cool opportunity where it was like, uh, Nathan Longhurst, um, uh, the kid, I actually mentioned it in our last conversation. I mentioned that he yeah. had a big Sierra project and Travis, you ch- got to chat with Travis, who was his partner uh, for a bunch of that. And then Travis ended up beating his time. That big project was the whole Sierra peak yeah. section list, which people got to hear about now. Uh, so kind of cool that that's all come to fruition and and it all went through both him and Travis sent the whole list in a push. Um, such a cool thing to have like played a small part in like, finding support for them and nudging yeah. them toward that. Cause they both have so much potential, you know, Nathan, he's only 22 years old at this point. And since we met when he was 21 years old, he's climbed over 347 mountains. Yeah. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah. Huh. I, I need to get, I need to get back after it. I'm getting lazy. Um, <laughs> anyways, uh, but that's the whole point, right? Is you, you do this stuff. It's like the coolest thing to me, you know, talking about that community thing is like, you might meet someone where if you bother to become the very best version of you and face just how limited of a human being, like I'm not that fast. I don't climb that hard. I'm not that capable of an athlete, but mm-hmm. because I've like pushed to the outer edges of what's possible for me. Now I'm bumping into these kids, these younger 
younger guys that it's like, <laughs> holy crap, the things that are possible for you, if you just believe in yourself because of how much faster and how much better of a climber you are than me, yeah. like you're going to do stuff that just rocks people's socks. So it's like really cool to like get to see that actually sort of coming to fruition. But anyways, mm-hmm. to get back on, he, he agreed because he'd just done the Palisade Traverse, kind of those six technical peaks that yeah. I mentioned uh, earlier on that are really full on with fifth class climbing for a lot of it. He said, Oh, I just did that. Like I'll come out and join you for that day. And like, I can haul in a resupply when I come in. Um, so like you can camp with me and then on the final day, we'll do that. Cause the thing was, if I wanted to break the record for the California 14ers by bike at the same time, I had to do it the harder way for Norman's 13, which okay. is all of the technical peaks at the end instead of at the beginning which, you know, you're thrashed and sleep deprived. And it's like, all right, now I'm going to go out and make fifth class rock climbing moves (laughs) while racing a clock. But that was just how it had to work. Right. It's like, all right. And then I had another guy, Chris Gorney, uh, a really rad guy out of Red Rocks who's involved with conservation and is kind of like the, the godfather of that area. Like he, he, he knows all the old scrambling routes that have fixed lines down there. He's a really cool dude. You should bring him on the show and have a chat with him. Really cool dude coaches and guides people and all that down there he wanted to come out and attempt this. This was kind of like just doing Norman's with me was going to be like kind of a big, like his, a big thing where it was kind of test his limits for what he was comfortable scrambling. And he joined me for a good portion of the first day. Um, but then he kind of realized like, all right, we're, we're writing a little bit too big of checks when we were 18 and a half hours into the push and still had two more mountains to go. And then it was like, yeah, okay, we're gonna, we're gonna go nonstop for 23 hours, sleep for 90 minutes and then get up and then do, do a trail 50 miler and climb another mountain. Um, he was like, all right, I really want to support you on day two and help you get through that trail section. And I know right. if I do this, like I'm going to be bankrupt and it's, I'm just going to have to hike out. So I'm going to bail on these last two peaks for day one. So day one was uh, Langley, uh, Muir, Mount Whitney, Mount Russell, and then a long talus traverse of just like, imagine the worst blocky uh, from the size of a microwave to the size of a refrigerator uh, like talus for just like seven miles where it's like it's moving sometimes and you'd have to like step off it really quick to not get like your leg crushed nasty gnarly for like seven miles to get to Williamson and then Tyndall and so when we got to the base of Williamson he's like dude I'm done like I want to be here for you tomorrow if I call it right now and sleep a proper amount like I'll be able to I know I'll be able to push with you tomorrow Um, so I'm going to call it so then I climbed Williamson in the setting sun and had to scramble the technical uh, slabs of Tyndall in the dark, which was kind of a mental crux. Like I -hmm. I think when I started up it, I was like 20 some hours in of constant movement Um, and, you know, going into the first dark and just kind of like solo and all that. So it was like, that was kind of a, had to pull the mental game back in. And it was like, the big thing that came to mind is it was okay. As I got to the base of it, it's like, I could go to bed right now, but then the dream is dead. Like camp is right down there. Right. I just turned downhill instead of climbing into the darkness and I get sleep and I could try to maybe still break the record or I can just choose to keep moving in the fatigue and in the darkness and keep the dream alive. And that became sort of the, the theme, the, the, right. the, the mantra of the effort is keep <laughs> the dream alive. And I thought it was just going to be day one. Cause I'm like, oh man, this is day one is like big mileage, 36 miles, six 14ers in a day. Like, oh man, it's like the tallest ones and da da da. 
And I was like, okay, I'll get more sleep after day two. I'll get, cause it's like a long trail push. And then the whole trail push, you go over three passes on the JMT. The, uh, you go over Forrester, you go over Glenn and you go over Pinchot and they're all like 13,000 foot passes. So it's like, you know, there's three more peaks you're climbing. You are on trail instead of Talus, but you've got to cover like 50 miles that day. Yeah. And then at the end, it's like, you also have to climb split mountain, which is again, back to these microwaves and refrigerators that are just rolling all over the place. Um, you know, some of it's pretty stable. I'm exaggerating a little bit, but there are sections where you have to really be keen to not get yourself hurt. Um, and you just kind of never really know, especially as it gets dark, you just, ne- you, you can't quite tell until you're stepping on it, whether right, totally this next yeah. step is going to move or this step is stable. And again, on day two, it was like, my body was kind of surprise, surprise, tied up from day one, not being as fit as I wanted to be still having some injuries that I was carrying and had trouble, had trouble pumping out anything better than like a a 12 minute mile. And I was just like, Oh boy, this is going to be a long day. If on the downhill (laughs) buttery sections, I can only do 12s. And so it turned into a lot of power hiking that day. Um, when I was really hoping to run it and get some sleep. And so again, turns into like a 23 hour, 20 minute push to finally like tag split and again, take like 90 minutes of sleep and punch into the final day. Cause the thing with wow. the thing with how the, the structure of it works when you put the technical peaks at the end is I did not want to be on life or death terrain in the dark fatigued. Oh God. No. As, okay. as after two nights of cutting sleep, setting yeah. into a third night, it's, I knew not only was I going to be sloppy, but like hallucinations were going to be mm-hmm. setting in like yep. all that stuff. That's already a lot to deal with when you're on a first class trail that where it's like your next move could kill you. If you mess it up, I was like, I can't, I can't allow myself to do that. So it was like, okay, I have to cut sleep again enough that I guarantee I exit the final technical peak before darkness fully sets in. Like it's okay if it's like racing the setting sun. And that is exactly what happened. We got up onto the, the final traverse, the, the sill to thunderbolt traverse. Um, and also middle pal before that was technical, but it's kind of a little bit off on its own. The others are grouped all together. Mm -hmm. And it was like, okay, we have, there's no way we're going to get, uh, to the top of thunderbolt before dark, but we can at least be off the last technical down climb to go between uh, Starlight, I believe it is, and Thunderbolt. We can be down that technical and kind of route findy because you can end up on really difficult or impossible terrain really easy if you just take a wrong turn. Yeah. Uh, so it's like almost like a memory game out there as well and a problem-solving game of like, nope, that doesn't go. Oh, that doesn't go. Oh, okay, <laughs> this is the one. Let's do it. And so it's like you need the light so you can quickly assess that so you're not just stuck up there for hours and hours trying to make decisions. And yeah, literally just, I was kind of pacing it out, even though like I was worked, I was like, kind of like, okay, I can't light my final matches until I'm on top of sill. And then, and then it's burn every match in the box (laughs) until, until I'm on Thunderbolt. And that's what it turned into. Like when Nathan, Nathan remembers it, he actually, he's like, he was like, dude, if you need to drop me, like go, <laughs> I'm like, no man, like I need you for this technical stuff. Like you're going you're gonna to help me with some of this, this technical stuff when we, when we, we need to make some moves and like, uh, like determine where to repel or where to down climb. Like, cause he had just done it. He would make a faster call than me and it ended up being perfect. But yeah, it was like, I put the gas pedal down. Cause, and my mantra at that point was not going to die out here. <laughs> and like that, that unlocked you 
you know, cause you know how it's like <laughs> when it gets real, like you suddenly find that so if you can activate your survival instinct, yeah. suddenly all of those fetters in your brain that were like, wait, we need to go slow and conserve our, our blood sugar and our fat and da da da. It's like, you go, we're going to die. And then all of a sudden it's like, boom, let's go. <laughs> and so I just like purposely made that like the mantra, like, okay, it could get dark and you could end up dead, go and just gas pedal down and just wow. like flowing through these fifth class moves and like hand over hand repels, uh, instead of like hooking into a harness, like hand over hand repels down these vertical faces just from our, our small wrap line yeah. and just raced through. And we basically did it exactly perfectly. We got to the bottom of the starlight descent. I think I've got the right peak there. Yeah. Starlight descent. And we're in the gully as it got dark. And then we just had to do kind of the easy scramble up to the very technical final summit block of Thunderbolt. And I'd rehearsed that one recently. So I know you just kind of like lasso the summit and kind of use it to protect the hard moves that have a fatal fall if you mess them up. And so, yeah, we, we actually used his method, which was taping two trekking poles together and sport climbers use a stick clip to clip okay. the first bolt when sport okay. climbing so that they don't fall and hit the dirt. Um, so he taped two trekking poles together and clipped the bolt up on the summit block. <laughs> and, and then we climbed it safely in the dark and then did a small, uh, technical, really, really small, like 20 feet of technical down climbing, and then just had to go down like loose scree gullies and back to the trail. And sure enough, like the moment we stepped off of the difficult loose scree uh, and then there were some more boulders to get across in the dark, the moment we stepped onto like first class ground that was flat, my brain shut down so hard. Like I, I couldn't oh, remember I where, where we were. Like, I, I was like, what time is it? Are we going the right direction? Cause I'd kind of been like, okay, dude, like you seem to be really good right now. Cause you've slept. Yeah. Um, like you go ahead and just be in charge of directions. And and my brain just kept wanting to question every, every little direction he would take. Oh, like, sure, this man. doesn't feel right. This doesn't feel right. Yeah. But I'm like hallucinating at the same time, like seeing numbers on the rocks and stuff. And so I'm like, he's probably <laughs> right. <laughs> um, <laughs> So yeah, we push it out of there and get to the trail and cruise down the trail. And, uh, yeah, I did it in three days, two hours, shaving nine, yeah. nine hours off the previous record. Wow. And then again, it, it turned back into the, uh, the keep the dream alive decision. Like, yeah. all right, I'm exhausted. I'm worked. I'm hallucinating. Um, I'm obviously going to sleep some, but if I choose to sleep for a long time, the dream starts to fall apart on breaking the record for the bike. Right. And so it was like, okay, you know, we rolled in at like, I forget, like 3am or something like this. We hours of the morning. It's like, all right, sleep till the sleep till the morning when the light comes up and then on the bike to start the next thing. And that was, that was tough in the morning. It was like, no, I want this. Let's go. You, yeah. you don't like it right now while you're laying down, but once you're up and moving, you're going to be happy that you did it. Yeah. And sure enough, got on the bike and started sending and, you know, got the bike done to, uh, over to white mountain. And then, you know, you want to talk about the heat on each day of the ride. When I was doing the riding between the peaks, uh, there were multiple hours of the day over a hundred degrees. Oh. Um, so yeah, biked over to white and then it was like, okay, it's way too hot to just start right up to it. And I biked a lot faster than I thought I would. So I was like, okay, cool. Uh, Chris had 
bailed out and got himself a hotel room. So I like went back and took a short nap at his hotel room and then went back to the base of the mountain, like got a ride because I was doing it supported. Went back to the spot that I left off after uh, it was kind of later in the day and it was starting to cool a bit and basically climbed through the night on White Mountain and came back down uh, on the next morning, got back on the bike. Uh, I think that day biked 130 miles with uh, multiple hours over a hundred degrees. All right. I was going to ask like, what's the distance, average distance between each, each spot you're going. Is it in that hundred mile realm each time? Um, yeah. So I think it was like day one after climbing white mountain, I think I managed to pull off like a hundred somewhere in the ballpark of a hundred or 130. I'm oh, kind of, man. I'm kind of misremembering there. The next day I got up and did a 200 mile ride, um, with about four or five hours of the day through the Reno area being over a hundred degrees. And then that got me to Susanville. Well, just a little bit past Susanville. Then we got a hotel for a few hours in Susanville. Uh, got up the next day, biked 135, 137 miles to the base of Mount Shasta and climbed Shasta. Um, and it kind of, again, came down to the that same keep the dream alive mantra. Like one of the things yeah. I thought was possible is I think I could be the first person to take the, the California 14ers human powered under seven days under a week, which felt mm -hmm. kind of cool. It's like, the, it's, it's weird how those arbitrary numbers mean so much to us. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it was like, oh man, breaking the week mark would be really cool. And sure enough, it kind of, I, I arrived there right at the cutoff where I kind of told myself, if I arrive at this time, it's still possible for me to break the seven hour mark. Okay. If I, if I just immediately start climbing Shasta. So I just come like right off the bike and I'm like right on that, just barely cut off timeline, just the, a few minutes behind it by the time I left the transition. And I'm like, all right, like it's keep the dream alive. Like, don't stop now. Don't rest. Just go. Um, and just like put the hammer down on the clear Creek uh, side of Mount Shasta, which is basically a scree climb, like scree trail. So you're kind of fighting against the yeah. backslide the whole way. And just like keeping the gas pedal down, even though I was exhausted, because it's like, all right, I have to climb this thing in four hours. If I don't get up it and in four hours, then I won't get back down it in time to, to beat that next day mark. Mm -hmm. And I ended up climbing it. I think I climbed 330 to the summit and just put the hammer down on the way down as it was, you know, in the dark. Right. Um, which, you know, I fell down a few times pretty good. Um, <laughs> cause that scree just let loose and went tumbling <laughs> and it's like, whatever, let's go. And cause I mean, I know that so I'm a guide on Mount Shasta. So I know that side of the mountain Then I kind of knew where I was. So I, I knew like, Oh, this is like powdery right. small rock. So it's like, if I wipe out, it's not like catastrophic. Mm -hmm. Um, and in the more technical sections that had falls that could have been worse, I definitely slowed down, but, um, just kind of any spot where I could just yarded out for everything I was worth, just like yarded it out and ended up doing round trip in five hours and 38 minutes and wow. finished the, the whole push for all of the California 14ers in six days, 22 hours. Oh shit. <laughs> um, wow. So it worked. <laughs> I love it when a plan comes together. They, they say, you know, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> well, I, oh my God, that's when you said you had, kind of this epic summer. Um, I wasn't really expecting that, that story to have, <laughs> to, to have to go from really bad. It could have, it could have been really bad injury to doing Yosemite, you know, traversing Yosemite to doing crushing two different FKTs here in California. I mean, that's, <laughs> that's a lot to slam into a, into a three month window <laughs> for sure. You've had a good summer. I'm, I'm going to say, so regardless, regardless of, of accident or not, that's, that's a, 
pretty solid summer for, for, uh, for most people's standards. <laughs> <laughs> I guess I did all right, huh? <laughs> you did all right. What, um, I'll just add, like, what's next? What's, what's your next, what are you looking out for right now? Absolutely. I mean, you alluded to the the bike in in my office with me. I don't know whether people are gonna see any video of this, but yeah, it's sitting behind me. Um, I uh, I'm training up because I want to make an attempt on the Badwater to Whitney duathlon record, biking from oh. the lowest point and Badwater Basin in the United yeah. States, and then you bike to the Whitney Portal, 135 miles, 14,000 feet of gain because you go over three passes. Right, and then you get off the bike and you ascend to the top of Mount Whitney via the Mountaineers route and gain another 7,000 feet over seven miles on foot. Oh, and the current shit. record is 13 hours, 16 minutes. And Ooh. I think I think the numbers seem to indicate I'm capable of shaving somewhere around 30 minutes off of that. When so when are you wanting to do this? Uh, as soon as Death Valley cools off a bit. You don't want to do it in the 130 degree temperatures. <laughs> no, surprisingly, none of the records have been set while Death Valley is over 120 degrees. I mean, I wonder why. <laughs> <laughs> that should be in a record in itself, then, like a little asterisk on top of it, if you can do it in the summertime. When yeah, it's, do, do it in <laughs> July or August. <laughs> I mean, why not? <laughs> yeah, man. Well, I... Uh, well, I, I definitely want to, once you do that, I definitely want to get you back on to hear that conversation because. Absolutely. And my, we have to talk a, about my epic fail on the double whirl as well. We'll have to, we'll cover yeah, those we, next I, time. I got I to gotta jump off a conversation here now because um, I got some other commitments, but I definitely want to hear the, because yeah, I think that's the other side of it too. It's like, you, I, you always want to talk about the the failure aspect of it too, because it, it comes back around and it, it, there's always that lesson learned as far as, okay, what happened? What can I do better? How can somebody else better from my, for my failure type of thing? So I'd love to hear that conversation um, as well. I, I think well, it's, that's always, it's, it's always two sides of the coin. I, I, I love being able to hear both, both sides just to, you know, have that perspective on it. So we will absolutely dovetail that into the conversation in the fall. Oh, because um, yes. who knows, like, we don't know whether it's going to be a success story and a failure story or two well, exactly. failure stories at this point. Well, exactly. So <laughs> we, we can go with either one. This is awesome. So, um, yeah, let's definitely jump back on for sure. When, uh, when you do that, cause I want to, I want to be able to hear the story and, and what, uh, what the process was of getting, getting ready for that. Because anybody who's run Badwater 135 will kind of have the idea of what you're going through as far as riding up those, up those mountains. So I mean, think it'd be, I think it'd be an awesome conversation, Jason, for sure. I'm excited. Thanks so much for taking the time for this, Jeff. The Trail Life Podcast presented by Solomon is produced and hosted by me, Jeff Stoner. Theme song provided by The Poor Dirty Astronauts with lyrics written by Matt Meyer. You can rate, review, and subscribe to this show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or any other place you stream your favorite podcasts. Thank you again, everybody, and we'll see you on the trails real soon.